Hey everyone, Julie and Matt here from the Village Church. Did you know that we have a podcast just for kids? It's called God's Big Story. On each episode, we teach the Bible, sing the Bible, and talk about what it means with a friend or two. You can follow God's Big Story wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to audio from the Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Hi, TBC family. My name is Karen Green, and my family and I have been attending TBC for over 13 years now. And in that time, we've, I've served in different capacities, but currently I am serving on the welcome team and on the intercessory prayer team. If you have a heart for prayer and would like more information on how you can be an intercessory prayer, um, come join us at today at 1 o'clock in Suite 165. We'd love to have you so you can learn a little bit more about that prayer ministry and jump on board with us. Today, I am going to be reading from Genesis 1, verses 24 through 31. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. How are we? We doing well? Great. Before we dive into this, uh, I think, epic passage, um, I I wanted to just highlight uh, a kind of a significant milestone in the lives of some of our members. Uh, In fact, uh, Jim Beckett was the, if you've got Baptist roots, he was the uh, chairman 
of the personnel committee uh, when I was hired at the Village Church, which means he's the one I sat down with and he was like, this is what it means to be the pastor. Here's what we can pay you. Here's what. Uh, and then Jim actually became, uh, Jim and Jane in some ways actually became uh, kind of a, a father figure in a way to me. We had uh, multiple sandwiches. He didn't like to go out and eat. He wanted to eat in my office. He'd bring sandwiches and olives uh, and we would eat sandwiches and olives and he loved Gordon Fee. So we'd be reading Gordon Fee. We'd talk about Gordon Fee. We'd talk theology. We'd talk marriage. We'd talk. So this past Tuesday, uh, I got to go hang out with him and Jane, uh, who are both now 97 years old and just last week celebrated 75 years of marriage. And uh, here's what blew my mind. Like, I mean, here's what, like, it just blew my circuits. Like my father-in-law is 70. That means that they have been married five years longer than my father-in-law has been alive. And I thought, how rare is that? Like, who gets that? Well, the Becketts get that, and they, man, deeply love Jesus. They have formed this church in ways that are unseen to the, way, to the most of us that are here now. Uh, they were fasting and praying and pleading and serving long before any of us got here, and I'm including myself. And so uh, be praying for Jane. I, I know Jim is not doing well. I don't think he's gotten out of bed for about uh, seven or eight days now. Uh, Jane is as feisty as ever. She will see a hundred uh, and we're going to throw like an epic party. I don't know what that means, but we're going to do that. Uh, but just be praying for the Becketts this week as it looks like Jim is, is quickly going to go to his reward and, and there is a reward waiting for him. Just a faithful, deep well loved his wife faithfully through the highs and lows where I'm always trying to point you to, this is a great couple to go like that, like that. That's how we want to finish. That's what we want to fight for. That's what we want to give ourselves over to, right? So be praying for them as you think about them this week. Um, and of course, if Jim heads on home to glory, I'll, I'll loop you guys in on that. It's a weird season for me, having been here 20 years, like the guys that were 60 and 70 when I got here are, are now 80 and 90, uh, and they're starting to kind of transition home, and there's a loss for me in that, and, and yet a, a reminder of all that was granted to me in their faithfulness to the kingdom and love for me as a 28-year-old who knew everything, um, they... <laughs> They endured quite a bit. So um, when I was six or seven, I hadn't been able to kind of find the, and I think I've told this story before, but look, we're at the point that you're going to hear it again. And so um, I was probably six or seven, and my, uh, my parents took me to counseling. Um, and I want you to keep in mind that this is the late 70s, early 80s. So you, you, if you think 2023, like, who's your counselor? Oh, I say, oh, gosh, I used to see them. I got a new counselor. That, that is not... That was not a therapeutic day uh, in, in which we lived our lives. It, we didn't have counselors. And yet I was being taken to a counselor. And I, I figured it was because, man, I was a lot. Um, and, and what I mean by that is my parents got to know my teachers very, very well. Uh, in, in fact, I think some became actually lifelong friends. And so if there was ever a poster child for this kid needs a more active learning experience. Uh, it was me, both then and now. Like I still, you put me in a chair for eight hours, you can just ask our executive, it is just not a good thing. I, like I, I need to move, I need, I need like, yeah, I need motion uh, to function. You could probably see by even how I have to talk with my hands. If you tie these things up, my guess is I just black out. Um, and so um, I'm in counseling and here's, like I don't remember much about it. Um, 
I remember we played some games. I remember I colored some pictures. I remember answering some questions. Um, and yet, even as a six or seven years old, my, my takeaway from that as a kid was I'm, I'm hard to love. That was my takeaway. I'm hard to love. And the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our souls, yours and mine, began to leverage that to where it became the lens by which I interpreted almost everything in my life. So I don't make the all-star team in baseball. That's because I'm difficult to love. I don't fall in with this friend group. It's because I'm difficult to love. This girl rejects me. I know that's hard to imagine. Hey, that, that's because I'm difficult to love, right? I, I could just keep going. I mean, I, my parents are late picking me up. It's because I'm difficult to love. And it didn't take long for that I'm difficult to love to become I'm unlovable. And what, what that did beneath the surface, and you need to know, none of this is prefrontal cortex stuff. You tracking with me? Like, like I'm not thinking I'm difficult to love. I'm thinking I'm difficult to love. And, and so somewhere in the middle of all of that, I, I, I kind of make a vow to myself that I'm going to show people. And I became a striver. You know what I mean by that? I mean, I became a striver. We'll see who's unlovable. And, and I'm just going to excel, and I'm going to succeed, and I'm going to outwork, and I'm going to overcome. And that marked my life. I mean, just a grinder. Even, I mean, I'm just a striver. That's the only language I know for it. I'm going to win to prove them all wrong. I am lovable. And then a guy on the football team named Jeff Faircloth started to share the gospel with me. And it, it, the gospel, listen, seemed absurd to me. I don't know. And if it didn't sound absurd to you, you, you haven't heard it or understood it. Like, for, for someone to say to, to me, a striver, that, that there's this creator God of the universe who loves me, and that love is built not upon what I'm doing or what I've done or where I've been or what I struggle with or what I will struggle with, but that love is just freely bestowed on me for the glory of God, not because of me, but because of him. That there is this love made available to me that has nothing to do with me, but will be lavished upon me regardless, seemed nonsensical. It flew in the face of my experience because if you are achiever, if you are an achiever, you, you know that when you achieve, you're, you're uh, applauded. When, when you succeed, people rally around. They rejoice in that, in that win, in that victory. And it reinforces, yes, I'm lovable in this moment. And now I got to get back to work. And, and if you fail, you feel it. You, you feel the, the absence of love or the lack of love or you failed other people. And it's like this soul crushing thing. And so to tell me as a striver, the unlovable one, that I don't have to do anything to not only receive love, but to be lavished with love seemed ridiculous. So for a full year, I read books, I asked questions, I went to church with Jeff, I made fun of it, I mocked it. I mean, man, there was some kitschy, silly stuff back then. Maybe, maybe it still is, because I'm just a Christian now so I can see it for what it is, but like back then I was like, why are we spelling words with our body that aren't YMCA? It, was, it just felt kitschy and silly, and, and yet I was being drawn into it without even knowing it. And, and then the, June 17th, 30-something years ago, my eyes are open to the beauty of the gospel, and man, 
Like, like it was like in this moment, all of that kind of deep, like spiritual bondage and foolishness and lies I had believed and promises I had made to the enemy and not to the Lord, it, it kind of broke loose and I just got to receive the love of God. And it was incredible and freeing and life-changing for about a year. And then where do you think I went back to? Striving. Did not take long for me to move from gladly receiving for nothing I have done to man, I don't want to disappoint him. Let me grind again. I was in my late 30s when I found out that that counseling session had nothing to do with me. There was a larger dynamic at play in my family and everyone was going to counseling. I didn't know anybody else was in counseling. I just thought that, that was me. And, and yet this, I can look back on this as this real defining moment of my life where the enemy took advantage of, of something that didn't have anything to do with me, but man, Hell's going to swoop in there and start to whisper, start to accuse, start to twist, start to... And I didn't know any better because it's going on so deeply. I didn't know any better. I just identified with it, owned it, and it actually became my identity for the longest amount of time. In fact, even now, uh, I'll be 49 this month. This is my fight for the rest of my life, to believe that what God says about me is true and what I think about me and what my flesh and the enemy whispers to me is not true. It will be the fight of my life. There is a striving that brings rest. Are you tracking with me on that? There's a striving that brings rest. Um, neutrality or doing nothing when it comes to who are you listening to will always lead you to bondage. And, and yet, if we're going to talk about formation, this is week two of our series on formation, we are either beholding the beauty of Christ and becoming more and more and more like Jesus, or we are beholding our idols and growing malformed and deformed and dehumanizing ourselves. And those are our only two options. It's behold Jesus and become fully human, or it's behold our idols, those things that we think can do what only Jesus can do, and we'll be betrayed by those and dehumanized by those. And so I referenced my friend in Australia um, last week where he says the, the way to think about formation or discipleship or, or what God's doing in our life post-conversion is that when God makes us, this is the passage that we read, he, he makes us, like the Bible says, we're good. Like I, I'm a happy reformed guy, but the Bible doesn't start with total depravity. It doesn't start with your heart is wicked. It starts with your good and beautiful and, and amazing. And the creator of the universe looks at you and goes, nailed that. That is amazing. And it's only when sin enters the cosmos that it gets twisted. So you and I are created as humans to flourish and to function, to grow in gladness and delight. Right relationships with one another, right relationship with our creator. Sin enters the cosmos and fractures that. And what happens in that fracture is an ongoing dehumanization that malforms and deforms and dehumanizes us until... Christ, the perfect man, comes, and he lives perfectly what a human life should look like, filled with the Spirit. He dies on the cross, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and sends the Spirit so that those of us who believe by faith in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, emboldened and empowered by the Spirit, will be progressively rehumanized 
over the days of our lives. We become more and more and more and more human, not less and less and less human. And so all, we're, like, all of this is just talking about discipleship and what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple is not to be a believer, it's to be a follower. In fact, I oftentimes try to press you that, that the Bible knows nothing about a believer who doesn't follow. There's no category for that in the scriptures nor in Christian history. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, just don't have any intent of following him or making him, he's kind of peripheral addition to my life. That, like, that's just not biblical Christianity. There's not a category for that in Christian history or the Bible. And when we talk about discipleship here at the village, here's, here's our definition. Discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus, is the continual surrender, right? Not a one-time event, not a one-time surrender, a continual surrender of all of life to God's good design for identity, purpose, and belonging. So the little phrase I like is all of life for all of life. My whole life for all of my life. That's discipleship. I'm following Jesus. And the reason why this is a continual surrender is because we can only know what we know in any given moment. I remember when I first became a Christian, it, it was stop getting in fights, quit partying, leave the girls alone. I thought, there is no higher morality than that. Just let, let's stop going hard. Let, let's stop starting trash. Let's leave those girls alone. And then, ha-ha, holiness. I had no idea how ruthless the Holy Spirit was. Because he was like, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that over there, and that. And I was like, whoa, 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 what? No, 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 I'm trying to give you, not punching that guy in the face. Uh, like, let's start with that. Can we just work on that? Like, had, had the Holy Spirit in that moment said, all and like shown the light on the next 40 years of stuff he's going to cut out of me and put into me and remove and refine and shape. There's no way I could have said yes to that. But he doesn't. He's just like, meet me here today. Meet me here today. That's all there is today. Meet me here today. Don't you worry about that. That meet me here today. So it's a continual surrender of all of life for all of life. Especially as it relates to identity, purpose, and belonging. And, and I started with that story this morning simply because I want to talk to you about identity. Like, who are you? What are you? Like, these are big questions. And, and the reason I'm in Genesis 1 here and we're about to read this is because there's something significant that happens if we are created beings. It doesn't matter if we're not, and we're just kind of a random, by chance, explosion of stuff kajillion years ago, and we somehow got to this moment. I think there's all sorts of problems if that's your worldview. But, but if that's your worldview, then man, good luck. There's no such thing as love, no such thing as beauty. No such, all it is, just neurons firing in your head. It's the, just the most least romantic, heartbreakingly nihilistic view of life there can be. But if we have a creator, well, that means some things in regards to what we are and who we are. So with that said, let's look at this passage. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. I'm just going to stop. So we, we read, um, if you're church folk, you, you read the Bible. And so, boom, we just read the Bible. Now, here's what I want to try to point out. God said, let there be creeping things like livestock and this and that. And what we probably just blew by is it went, and it was so. Which means 
The spoken pronouncement from the creator God of the universe is so powerful that when he tells nothing to become something, it becomes something. Not only something, but exactly what he told it to become. So don't read that. I mean, this, this God just said livestock. What is livestock? Whatever he said it is. Delicious. Right? So I, I don't, don't miss this. This is the creator saying, let there be livestock. And it was so, which means everything obeyed his spoken command. Let's keep reading. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion or reign or rulership over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created the man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Here we go. One singular point. If we are created beings, then we are not the measure of, nor central to, anything. And therefore, this this is the major point of the day, our identity is not something we got to go discover, but something we receive from the one who created us. Now, there's a layer of understanding oneself where we have to, we have to get in there. But, but baseline, what am I? Who am I? You, you will either believe the wound, you will believe the backstory, or you believe the declaration of God. And, and my contention today, my encouragement today, my argument today is the more that you let either the wound or the backstory or the background define who you are, you rob yourself of human flourishing and the delight and gladness of receiving from the one who made us what he says about us. And if he can say, let there be livestock, and it was so, let there be man and woman, and it was so, then his pronouncement over us has to bear much more weight than what we think about us or some agreement we made with some hurt. Because I I contend that the enemy wants you to be defined by your hurts. And the creator God of the universe wants you to own what he says about you 
as ultimately true, and in fact, what's most true about you. I think so many of us, we don't actually have a, a, a lust issue or an anger issue or a fill-in-the-blank issue. What we have is an identity issue. We won't operate out of what God says we are. We operate out of what we think we are or what other people have told us we are, and that's got us all twisted and mangled. It's got us deformed. It has us dehumanized, and so what I'm trying to argue today is that the creator of the universe, whose spoken word is so powerful that the universe continues to expand in every direction. He is saying things about you that are most true. It's not that you don't have a hard backstory. It's not that you haven't failed. It's not all of those things can still be true. And what God says about you still be the essence out of which you live your life. Like, that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about, because if I were, if I were to just ask the question to a bunch of church folk, Like, are you trying to create your own identity? Are you living in your God-given identity? Which one should you do? Well, that's a no-brainer for church folk. What God says, I'm not talking about knowing it. I'm talking about living out of it. I'm talking about it being the essence by which you understand your reality. Because God has said a ton about you that, that we tend to argue with. I said last week, I'll double down now. Man, it's easier to believe that I'm useful than I'm wanted and loved. Man, I've got some skills and abilities. Here you are, Lord. Tell me what to do. But that's a dysfunctional relationship if all I become is like an errand boy for the Lord. And I'll be whatever he wants. The thing that I have to keep fighting is what he wants me. That's many of us. So a couple of things that he says about us. Just Let me just do a couple of them. There's like... 60 or something like that in the Bible. We, we ain't got all time for that. I know you were like, one point, huh? Yeah, with 60 sub points. Let's go. No, won't be that. Let's go through a couple of these, two at a time. Here's the first two. You are redeemed. That's Ephesians 1, 7. You are perfectly loved. That's Ephesians 2. So let's stop. Few things fire me up like the idea of redemption. Here, look at me. That means look, nothing is ever wasted. Nothing is ever wasted. Not a single failure, not a single tear, not a single heartbreak, not like the most epic screw-up imaginable. Man, you, you dropped an atomic bomb on your life and blew it to oblivion, and you have an impossible time believing that that can be redeemed. The one who told livestock to be, and they were. The one who spoke the world into existence. The one that says, everything obeys me, looks at you and all of these. not blind to that bomb you dropped on your family, your job, your whatever you blew up. He, he gazes right upon it. And with all his power and all his majesty and all his beauty, he declares redeemed, turned, purchased back, and he moves towards you in his grace and his love. And then what happens is that thing that we tend to get stuck in that we start to, in the deeper parts, makes agreement. I will never be seen as weak again. I'm never going to put my heart out there again. I'm not, I'm not, like those promises we make to the enemy. Like they shatter on this rock. Because this rock says there's nothing in your past or present that God won't redeem, cleanse, in fact, empower for you then to use to help others and love others not suffer the same difficulties that you have. Like, you, you watch people get super involved in ministry, and nine times out of ten, they're involved in the lane of ministry that the Holy Spirit met them and ministered to them in. Right? 
Like, you know, I'm up here preaching the gospel every week because one, I need to be reminded of it. I already told you my background. I'm not, I'm, all my cards are down. Like, I'm telling myself this again this morning. And I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow. I'm going to have to do it again Tuesday. I'm going to have to do it again Wednesday. I am still, if I'm not striving in my head to take every thought captive unto Christ, I'm going to believe and begin to operate like I'm unlovable and not like I am loved. And when I operate like I am loved, I deeply love you and hardly anything frustrates me. If I'm operating like I'm unlovable, then any challenge is seen as war and, and the, I power up rather than lower myself before King Jesus and ask him to do the work. There's a kind of striving that leads to rest. You have been redeemed. And, and then he, he argues that you are perfectly loved. Perfectly loved. Look at me. You're not just useful. Gosh, he delights in you. Like, cheers you on. Wants you in his presence. Think of what he paid for to get you in his presence. Wants to sit with you, hear from you. Like, even if you feel like you're a, um, like a, like a repeating guy, I only say the same seven things every time I pray. Great, he, he has yet to grow weary of those seven things. But again, what we do is we compare them to twisted human relationships and try to lay them on like they're the same thing. Like, you, you say the, like if I say the same thing to my spouse over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, that, there's a point where, there, there's a breaking point. Let me just say that. Just a breaking point. Maybe. No, I know. Um, but the Lord never tires of it. He doesn't grow weary of us coming, here I am again, dead gum, here I am again. Redeemed, perfectly loved. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. That's the next two. Like, this is how, the, this is the Lord's posture towards you. You are my child, my son, my daughter. And, and not like in the imperfect ways that our mother and fathers did their best. This is the perfect love of God. And, and Jesus is even going to say, man, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more does he know how to give good gifts? He delights, rejoices. And, and if you'll think for a little bit about some of the deeper emotions you have towards your own children, if you have children. Like, it's crazy to think that God loves me like that. Like, some of my biggest wins now aren't my wins, they're my kids' wins. You must feel that, like if they do something, man, I have a hard time sleeping, I didn't do anything, I just gave, you know, that, that's my kid, and I, I can't believe he died, you know, or she did that, and there's this weird rejoicing that takes place just by delighting at watching them grow and learn, and even as they stumble along the way, there's never been any condemnation. I used to use the illustration all the time of a kid when he started to walk. A kid ain't really walking. It's like a controlled fall, <laughs> right? It's a biological step, 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 fall. Which of you ever saw the fall, though? Huh? Which one of you saw the fall? When your kid picked him up on the coffee table and let it go and bam on the ground, you're like, come on. That's not what happened. You lost your mind. If you're my age, you tried to find the, the, the phone because we didn't have those back then. So you got to hit that button on the wall and then listen for a beep. And you're calling people. Going, they're walking. You're not going to believe they're like, you don't see the fall at all. You are my beloved child. Gosh, he sees the steps. What would it be like for you to believe that? What would it be like for you to believe that? And then he keeps going. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139. You are never alone. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are justified, Romans 5, 1. You are more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. You are not condemned. Look at me. You are not condemned. 
You are more than a conqueror, Romans 8, 37. Um, you were created for good works, that's Ephesians 2.10. You are victorious, 1 Corinthians 15.57. And you are not a slave to sin, Romans 6.1-7. Now, I want to try to quickly... I would, here's something I wish I would have had more time for. In the book of Revelation, he says that he gives us a name that only he knows. And that when all said and done, he'll say that name and we'll know that's us. There's something about that, bro, that I... That I'm so pumped about that. Like, I kind of wonder what my name is, but I know, but I don't know. And he's going to say it to me on that day. He's going to say my name that he has for me, that he has for you. And I'm going to know that's me. So there's something underneath Matt Chandler. I don't know what it is, but it's a name that only he knows, but in time he'll say it out loud and I'll know it's me. And there's something about that that geeks me out. It just geeks me out, man. I just can't wait for that, for him to say this name. And hopefully it's cool. I'm sure it will be. And, you know, it's going to be awesome. But let me tell you why this stuff is so hard for us. Um, maybe this will, it's not going to matter what you do here. But how many of you, like, grew up Christian background? Like, you grew up going to church? You grew up, uh, okay, look at me. This actually puts us a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, like, I think, and I, I'm, listen. He, he's owned it, in the, but VeggieTales jacked some of us up. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not making a joke. Here, when you lead with morality with kids, you're setting up a framework of failure that'll have that, which is why our scope and sequence here says, look at God. Look at the nature and character of God. Yes, don't lie. Yes, don't steal. Yes, obey your parents. Yes, don't. Yeah, yes, the, these are the moral rules of God. They're good and right and beautiful. They're an invitation into human flourishing. But if our lead foot, which was most of our lead's foot, is the thou shalt's and thou shalt nots, what the framework ultimately becomes, I have to step in to this moral universe that's very real, very transcendent, and God has commanded, in fact, demanded that I step into those rules and commands and conform my life to them. But sanctification and discipleship has to always be seen first and foremost as a gift of God's grace before it's an invitation to striving. And I love, this is the way Lewis put it, uh, specifically the morality that makes us self-condemning. There is a story about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. He replied that as far as he could make out, God was the sort of person who is always snooping around to see if anyone is enjoying himself and then trying to stop it. Okay, let's stop. Let's, let's just have some us time. Anybody grow up with kind of that? That was kind of your idea of God. Go ahead and get the hand up like you're not Baptist so we can encourage each other. Look around. Get it up. Like, look at this. This is what we grew up with. Oh, my gosh, of course. Like, our, our identity is failure. Our identity has fallen short. Our identity is I can. Our identity is right. This is the moral reality presented to us as strive towards it. Well, Lewis points it out. Gosh, yeah, he's just, Lord's looking around going, quit that smiling. Put that down. Stop that. Which is so far from what he is in the scriptures. Let's keep reading. And I am afraid that this is the sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's minds. Something that interferes. Something that stops you having a good time. In reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. 
That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. That's the first three to five years of my walk with Christ easily. When you are being taught how to use any machine, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that, because of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine, but do not really work. Now let's talk about essence of what we're living out of. If the essence of what I'm living out of is that I am a child of God, that I am forgiven, that I am beloved, that I am, then my posture towards the moral law of God is an invitation into deeper, more meaningful life. It is not come this way that I would, might love you. It's I love you, won't you come this way? It's an invitation into human flourishing, not a standard by which I'll measure myself worthy or not worthy of love, nor God uses to measure whether I'm worthy or unworthy of love. This is how orienting our lives around what God has said is true about us. I think when we're talking formation, when we're talking about long journey home, when we're talking about progressive rehumanization becomes the baseline for whether we'll get there or not. The more we define us or the more other people get to define us and therefore our own moral universes, the more soul crushing and miserable we'll be even if we like to plaster the name of Jesus over the top of our efforts. But the more we will orient our hearts around, no, 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 I'm, I know what I'm feeling there. I know what I did there. I know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into what God has said about me because his spoken word created livestock out of thin air. What he said created a universe that's com- continually expanding in every direction just because he told it to. So if he looks at me and says that, then who am I to say, uh-uh, No, no, I surrender to that, rejoice in that, feed my soul with that, fuel my failures to be healed with that. Keep leaning into that and live out of that for the glory of God and my own good. Now, um, I want to end with this this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'll I'll put it up on the screen, and we're just going to leave it on the screen because I want you to see it. For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to leave it up so you can see this. This is what's happening in this new identity of ours. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, the perfect man, to be sin, which doesn't mean that Jesus became sinful. It's that God oriented his posture towards Jesus. God the Father oriented the posture towards Jesus on the cross as sin. Jesus is absorbing all of those who would believe by faith in Jesus, absorbing all the wrath of God towards those who would believe. Willfully, delightfully, with a great deal of joy, he submits to the Father, and on the cross, he becomes sin. Not sinfully, becomes sin. So much so that the Father turns his face away from Jesus. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, this is, this is mind-bending. 
Not only in Christ does he see you as righteous, does God see you as righteous? All these pronouncements come true about you, but Romans 8 actually says that you might become the righteousness of Christ, like, like Christ's righteousness becomes your righteousness, which is why all these things are true and God can still be just. Like you are beloved because Christ paid your bill in full. You are delighted in because all the twisted perversion and brokenness of your waywardness was paid for and covered in full. He sees only the obedience of Christ when he sees you. He sees only the delight he has in his son. Jesus prays in John 17 that you would be in him so that you might be loved like God loved him. What? Can you believe that God loves you like he loves Jesus? That's the promise. That's the essence that he wants us to live out of. I, I really do believe after 30 years of following Jesus and 20 years pastoring you that most of our struggles get, get dealt with out on the peripheral. And in reality, most of us just have a significant identity issue. We just are believing what we think about us or what somebody else said about us. Because my little story of counseling, you might not have that story, but you got a story. Mom said something, dad said something, coach said something. First boyfriend or girlfriend said something, first husband or something. I mean, somebody said something and the enemy pounced on it. And you've owned it and you've agreed with it. And I'm, and I'm trying to go, come out from under that agreement. No, 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 you're... You're a son, you're a daughter, you're delighted, you're beloved. I could take the 12 that I shared, we could take all of those out and we could refill that list of 12 three more times for the things that God says about you. And if you could live out of that as your essence, I think there's freedom and vibrance and vitality, spiritually speaking, available to you. But you'll have to let go of how you've defined yourself. You'll have to let go of those things in your soul that, that have defined and marked and haunted and chased you your whole life. And that's why our little tagline is always deep work over time in community. Like even if I'm telling my story, I'm not, I'm not talking to you about, you know, two inches deep. I'm, I'm saying this is, this is like the stuff stuff. And you've got some stuff stuff. Deep work over time in community. I thought the way we would end today is just by um, standing and declaring together. We're going to sing a song together uh, about we are who he says we are. That, that's what we're going to sing. And I want to remind you that singing for the Christian is standing in defiance against the forming power of the world that we live in. And, and in defiance of that world, say, no, no, we belong to a greater reality than that. So why don't you stand with me and let's declare this together.